RadioInfluence.com. You've seen Chef Ryan Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. What? This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. All right, boys and girls, here we go. Welcome to Friday of Duffified Live, episode number 20. Number 20. We've done this 20 times. And you know what? I couldn't do it 20 times and be able to talk to some of the most amazing people that I have had the option, the, uh, the luxury of talking to over the last bunch of months. So I want you guys to do me a favor because it is a show and we got to pay bills, man. We got to pay the bills. What I want you guys to do is listen to what I'm going to tell you right now. And it's simple. Go to nogginware.com. Reach out to Scott. Reach out to the boys over there. Tell them that I sent you. Make sure that they know that you're interested in not only the limited edition hats, but you're also interested in all the amazing hats that they have to do. They do an unbelievable comic series. It's nogginware.com. They have a subscription. It's always free shipping, and you always get a little gift in the package. That little gift, I got a feeling it's going to make you a little bit smart. So it's nogginware.com. Go over, check the boys out. It's Stuffified Live time, and I'm super happy to talk about this show because of the fact that I got a buddy of mine on. He's a pretty awesome dude. Um, his name is Chef Terry French. Uh, we're going to have a quick combo with him talking about all that this guy's done. Old school guy, guys that I like. We're going to have a boatload of fun with him. We're talking about uh, the industry. You know, we're talking about some of the travel. We're talking about some of the food that's available these days. We're going to be talking about some pretty wild stuff, and I'm going to get into that in just a second. But right now, what I want to do is I want to thank everybody for spending so much time with us and listening to us and all the other stuff. We're on episode 20, so I'm super stoked that this is moving forward. Um, you know, uh, after doing this as many months as we have, and you guys heard, I'm sorry, this is 21 shit it's 21 20 was last week okay cool so 21 guess what it's time to drink everybody it's 21 so uh we talked to some great people we had a boatload of fun with some awesome guys and chefs and girls and spiritual advisors and the whole nine yards on the show and we're going to start switching things up a little bit the next couple of weeks because i've got some pretty wild guests that i'm really excited to have access to and have conversations with um but for this week uh, you know, I, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about uh, some of the stuff that I, I've had going on over the last week. You know, so I turned 46 on Tuesday and had uh, just one of the most amazing days. Um, so uh, a friend of mine uh, had, had planned a whole day uh, to go out. We did some zip lining, like four and a half, almost five hours of zip lining in the morning um, of just going through the treetops up there in the Pocono Mountains and just an awesome, awesome day all around. And then was able to come back and kind of sit down for a little while and chill and just reflect kind of on the day my girls were involved. Um, and then, uh, you know, had plans for the night that I had no idea what they were going to be. And I was able to uh, get into the city and go to one of my favorite uh, old, 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 old school Italian restaurants, Villa de Roma. It's down on 9th Street. It's right next to Donardo's. Um, uh, Donardo's. What the fuck is Donardo's? That's the Crab House. I'm talking about the Bruno, right on 9th Street in the Italian market, right in the heart. And you know what the cool part about, uh, about Villa de Roma is? There's no pretentious bullshit. Okay? There's no funky garnishes. It's just old school, classic Italian food. The stuff that I grew up with my grandmother when she was, you know, 
I, I ordered the chicken bella buca. Uh, we also had clams casino. Uh, we got the villa salad, which has shrimp and it's almost like a little thousand island dressing. And you can order it heavy or you can order regular or light dressing. Um, our server was Anna Marie. Anna Marie was totally from South Philly, which I adore. I love that accent. I grew up with the accent. That's what my grandmother had. You know, it's what my father had when he was coming up because he grew up in South Philly as well. I love the accent. I love the way that Philly people talk as it is. But then you're going to add in a little bit of uh, the Italian in it, you know, because you're not ordering capricola. You're ordering gabagool, man. You know, you're not ordering calamari. You're in the galamad. All right. So I ordered the Bella Buca, which is like uh, it's almost like a protein version of it's the Italian version of, of chicken cordon bleu. There's ham in through the center of it. There's mozzarella cheese on the inside of there. It's breaded. It's fried. And then it's topped off with this like spinach wine sauce. Uh, that comes together perfectly. They mount it the way that it should with the Bermanier, which is that equal part, that butter and flour that goes into it, which is just awesome. You know, and just sit around with friends and everybody's drinking, as we call in my house, the Dago Red, you know, the old school red wine, like the Chianti's and stuff like that. Um, but it's just awesome to get out there and sit with friends and have fun. And our server was amazing. Uh, you know, she just was there every moment. She turned around, she touches you, she puts your hand on the back of your head. At one point, she kind of kissed my cheek when she sang me happy birthday. You know, happy birthday. That's it. Happy birthday. Everybody needs a happy birthday. And uh, somebody to say that to you. So uh, it was a fun birthday, man. I really enjoyed it. I'm really glad that I was able to kind of, um, you know, after a crazy, crazy bunch of weeks of travel and, and, and moving and, and shaking and just doing all the things that I do, I just, I just realized that, that I hit 50,000 miles of flown this year already. Like it's July. I hit 50,000 miles already. In July, I can't imagine when I'm going to hit before the end of the year. So, um, so you know, I mean, but I was glad to be able to get home and spend the time with my girls and friends and, and people that I really, really care about. Um, and, and I was really glad to be here. So, and then after that, I get to hop into the restaurant. You know, I went into the restaurant yesterday. Uh, we hired a management company to come in and oversee the restaurant. We've had some struggles uh, with management because basically, uh, you know, I'm not around. I'm not in the restaurant the way that I should be, and you have to be present in your business. And you've heard me talk about it. So we partnered up with a company called MBB Management. They're pretty good. I'm really happy with them so far. Um, they do a nice job. Um, they're down and dirty. Uh, they they have the same vision that I do, which is for hospitality, which is for focus, um, which is about systems and standards and the whole nine yards. And uh, you know, I, I'm, they're not in there for the food. They're in there for our service and for our front of house and to execute the way that it needs to be executed. Um, so I walked into the kitchen yesterday after being gone for a couple of weeks. And there's an employee who works in my kitchen uh, who is, she's a hack. She's a hack. Um, she, uh, you know, she was a great cook for the first couple of weeks. Uh, and then she just all of a sudden kind of dumbed down. You know, she didn't really, she wasn't able to step up to the plate the way that I wanted. I've, I've actually asked my chef to get rid of her. And I, and I was looking over the schedule this week and I thought to myself, you know what? I'm not in the kitchen. All I know is the stories that I hear and all I know are the things that I've seen the two or three times that I've been in there, which is with some late food coming out and stuff like that. But I'm not in the kitchen. I haven't trained her. I haven't taught her. I haven't educated her about the full-fledged way that I want things done. So I walked into the kitchen yesterday and I turned around and she was walking out of the kitchen because she said, oh, I'm not supposed to be here today. And I said, good, here are my knives. Clean them. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know what to do. And I said, you're going to start from scratch again. I said, you're going to start from scratch. It's just that simple. You're going to learn the basics of this. You can't respect the food that we're going to serve. So you're going to respect the process of how we make this stuff. And you're going to lose your attitude. 
You're going to pull your fucking pants up so I don't have to see your goddamn boxer shorts underneath your fucking pants. Okay? You want to be in my kitchen? You're going to be respectful. You're not going to look like a jackass. You're not going to look like a derelict. And you're not going to look like an asshole. Okay? If I see your underwear while you're in my kitchen, I'm going to make a belt out of fucking cellophane. And I'm going to pour it or pull it around your waist. And I'm going to tie it up over your shoulders and make a pair of suspenders out. Okay? Because your pants don't need to be hanging out over your ass. Just that simple while you're in the kitchen. You can do whatever you want on the street. I really don't give a shit. Don't wear my t-shirt. But don't look like a jackass when you walk into a kitchen. Be respectful of that kitchen. Put that jacket on if that's what you have to wear. Put that apron on. Put that blue apron up over your neck so that you look respectful while you're in that kitchen. Put a white one. I don't give a shit what you do. Just put it on the right way and make it happen. Okay? You know, when the chef is talking to you, you pay attention. You stop what you're doing and you listen. Because he's the one. She's the one who's in charge. You're not in charge. You're not in charge. It's not your kitchen. It's not your food. It's not your service standard. It's mine. Now, I will educate you, and I will teach you, and I will spend time with you if you feel that you're able to do that. But other than that, you can get the fuck out of the kitchen. So I'm going to give her this week, and I'm going to see how she reacts. She's not going to work the line tonight because she's going to sharpen my knives again, and she's going to polish my tongs. She's going to make sure that my spatula that's in there is absolutely perfect. And the little grips that are on the inside of my tweezers that are in my kit, you're going to pull those together as well. And then you're going to take the, the butcher's twine that I keep in there just in case I need it. And you're going to refold it because you have to respect the process before you get to the execution of it. Because if you don't respect the process, then you're never, ever, ever going to execute at the highest level. So for me, it starts with knives. Before you can cut anything, you need to know how to sharpen a knife. And then what did she do yesterday? She picked up my carbon knife that's 70 years old and she holds a diamond steel in front of it and she just runs it up and down in the same space. I said, are you trying to make my fucking knife a serrated knife? She stopped. I said, that's not how you do that. I said, did I tell you to sharpen the knives right now? No, because you're not sharpening it. You're honing it. Then you got to break that process down. Sometimes you got to be able to, you got to let people know exactly. Oh, oh, hold on. Somebody's at my door. Yes. Yes, Emily. Oh, Emily's coming in the room. She wants to, she wants me to continue um, uh, while I'm doing this. So, uh, but what it comes down to is you have to respect the process while you're in there. That's what it is. It's just a very simple fact that if you don't respect the process, you're never, ever going to be able to execute at the highest level. So, you know, it's like with my girls, my daughters, uh, Emily worked in the restaurant last night. Uh, she's usually a hostess. Last night, she was a runner and a busser. Um, you know, this is a, this is a 16-year-old kid who's got to make some money to buy a car, and she was awesome last night, cleaning out the boxes and uh, the beer boxes, making sure that they were totally clean, wiping the glass down, going in the kitchen, bagging up potato chips, running food at the same time, cleaning shelves, in the back, washing and cleaning zucchini. You know, uh, she's 16 years old, and she didn't question it. She just asked what she could do more. You know, so there's something to be said about that when you're in a, when you're in there and you're in a restaurant or you're at work or whatever it is, ask for something to do. If you're bored, go find something to do that's going to keep your keep your attention. But if not, then just get out of the business. It's just not worth it. It's just not fun. You know, I don't want this to be negative because this is such a great industry, but we're in such a, a, a an integral part in our lives and in our careers and in the industry where we have an opportunity, especially me as an older chef. You know, somebody who is not 25, 26, 27, you know, I'm 46, man. I've been in this business for a long time. 
And I'm not going to sit here and bitch and moan about it, but I am going to say that we need to make some changes within the kitchen. We've got to get that respect level back. You've got to just stop hiring people to hire people. You've got to hire people and vet them. You've got to bring them through. You've got to teach them and educate them and move them and motivate them, get them passionate about what it is that they're going to do. Because as I say to every single person or every single restaurant, or every single owner, or every single chef that I work with, and they talk to me about firing people, I automatically say to them, have we given them all of the tools that they need to succeed? So guess what? Employee who works in my kitchen, I'm not going to use your name, but you know exactly who you are. I'm going to give you the tools that you need to execute at the highest level. And if you don't take those tools that I give you, and if you don't execute at the highest level, and guess what? I'm going to educate you. Now, guess what? I'm going to excommunicate you. Guess what? I'm going to get rid of you. I'm going to say goodbye to Hollywood. We're going to eliminate it. We're just going to execute just the way that it works. But ladies and gentlemen, I hope you guys enjoy this week's show. I'm super stoked about it. Very, very excited because I've got my buddy, Terry French, coming on. Extreme chef from Food Network. He was the winner. This is the guy who went out and did it. At his age, he beat out all the younger guys. He went out and he crushed it. A lot of that comes from determination. A lot of that comes from experience. And a lot of it comes from his military background. And you're going to hear all about that. So I hope you guys enjoy this week's show. Please do me a favor. Don't forget to check us out all over the place. We got Chef Brian Duff on Instagram and Twitter. We got Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook. We have got Duffified Live on Instagram as well. If you guys have questions, comments, or concerns, please do me a favor. Send them to me. And I'm going to say this before you listen to Terry. Because I got a feeling you're going to listen to this and you're going to have a lot of questions. You're going to have a lot of comments that are going to come out as well. Because he's pretty controversial in what he does. While you guys are up there and you're out there and we're listening and we're having fun, check it out. Go over there right now. Go to DuffifiedLive.com. Download more episodes. Have more. I'll see you guys in a little bit. Get ready for Chef Terry Crunch. All right, everybody. So if you can do me a favor and uh, make sure that we turn down all your, uh, you know, get the kids out of the room. And uh, don't, uh, you know, don't turn this up too loud because uh, I have hung out with Terry and we are no strangers to cursing. We're chefs. It's what we do. So everybody do me a favor and welcome to the show. My good friend, Mr. Terry French. What's up, brother? Thank you, Brian. It's not much, man. Just having another great day out here in the Midwest and a super heat we're having. Lovely. Wait, where are you right now? I'm just outside of St. Louis uh, in between Orangeboro and St. Louis and uh, on the Ohio River. Oh, cool, man. What are you doing out there? Well, it's where I grew up. It's where I'm originally from, actually. And I am uh, uh, came out here to help a buddy of mine that I went to high school with. Uh, we've been friends, you know, all our life. He's opened up a couple restaurants and he's got a new one he just opened up and told him I'd come out. He was having some problems. I told him I'd come out and give him a hand and look at the operations and see what was going on and uh, helping him out. And I just got here two days ago, got to see my dad for about, I don't know, eight hours. And then <laughs> I'm going to work again. It's what chefs do, right? It's, it's what we do, dude. It's never ending. So chef, what I want you to do me a favor. Tell me, tell me a little bit about you. I mean, you, you're like, you're like one of the original rebels, dude. I mean, you're one of the guys who so you've been in the business for a long time. Tell, tell us, tell us what you do. What, I mean, what's going on? I, and I'll touch on some of the TV stuff, but like, where right. did you, well, let's do that. Talk to me about some TV stuff. What, what was, what was the world of like extreme chef like? Cause that was an awesome show. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was a great show and it was, uh, you know, poorly planned and it's airing like two weeks after the summer Olympics back in 2012. And 
and 10 o'clock on, on August on Thursday nights. I mean, it's summertime. Who's watching TV? You know, everybody's at the beach. So <laughs> I don't know how many people saw it, but I know people see it. And, and episodes pop up on the Internet around the world. And I get hit back by people all over the world. What a great show. What a great inspiration it was. Uh, the show itself was was pretty cool. It's uh, seven chefs, myself and six other chefs. Uh, traveling around the world in the most harsh environments, the most the harsh you know elements that you could uh, imagine, and a competition, both physically, mentally, and uh, you know, uh, going at each other, trying to um, win each competition to make it to the end for the title of World Extreme Chef and win fifty and win fifty thousand dollars. So it was sort of sort of a funny deal, and everybody laughs when I tell them how it came about. Uh, now, now I'll feed back in a little bit about how it did happen and what, you know, when we go back to the old school, what we're talking about. But it was a, you know, it was a simple little ad that I found on Craigslist. It was about eight or nine words. It said, are you a culinary badass? And I think I came in <laughs> from fish and drinking tequila and some, had some Coronas in hand. And I was throwing my dirty fish clothes off. There's a couple months I was putting up an ad because I'm a licensed sea captain as well. Uh, to move boats. So I put my phone number up there. So I'm getting calls from everybody trying to sell me islands, diabetes kits, everything in the world except for <laughs> moving boats. So I'm pissed off. I mean, my phone rings all the time. My voicemail is inundated with all these people trying to sell me stuff. So I came in from fishing one day and the phone rings. I'm like, oh, shit, another asshole. So I, I just threw the phone down, but I had answered it by accident. I didn't know I answered it. Threw it on there, but I'm going off about how Craigslist should die, you know, whoever created it should die a cancerous death because I'm just like, I can't get that removed. I can't take it away. Everybody's oh, calling me. So I'm going on on a tangent for about 15 minutes. So I'm on my way up to take a shower and I hear somebody laughing on my phone as I'm taking it with me along with another Corona and a shot of tequila. And I'm saying, hello, somebody there. And they're laughing. And then I hear this voice say he didn't even know we were there. Oh, shit. <laughs> And so, yeah, so I'm going on and they said, hi, this is Carly Alinsky. We're casting for a show for Food Network called Extreme Chef. And we think you'd be perfect for it. <laughs> so oh, that's geez. how it all happened, you know. So I did a Skype interview the next day with them. Two weeks later, I'm in Universal Studios at the Sheridan and going to war. Wow. Uh, six newfound friends at this point. But, you know, it was just it was a crazy deal. Um, that I never expected, you know, I, like a lot of us in 2008, it was a hard, rough time. And I was trying to scramble to do whatever I had to do to, you know, make it, I had to close my restaurant. Um, and I was just like, what do I do next? You know, I've already gone through, I can't go work a line anymore. I'm a business owner. I got businesses and I'm losing my yachts. I can't do anything. So what do I do? So I said, hell, I'll take the shot and I'll go do the show. Nice. But never had any expectations of winning it. And especially when I got there and found out that my competitors were all pretty much either professional or half-ass amateur athletes and 15 years younger than me. Right. And as most buddy, everybody knows about me, yes, I am the rebel. And I've been around for a while. I'm one of the old guys. you know. So, you know, being 15 years older and living a lifestyle that you and I both are accustomed to and know well, yeah. Uh, you know, it didn't see it, it, and then put me in 110 degree heat in the middle of the desert. It, it was needless to say, I was pretty damaged by the first day of competition. So wow, it, it was arduous and and fun. The characters that they casted uh, us up against, I think there was a pick out of 4,000 chefs out of the country to do this, and the top five. One was Viet Pham. He was one of these Sansei kids. He'd been in the business about five years. James Beard Award winner up in Utah. 
And then Izzy, she's up in Vermont. She's the granola girl. Yeah. Uh, but very acclaimed chef in New York. And Scott's from Boston. Tiffany's a, a windsurfer from Maui. So, <laughs> I mean, it was an eclectic crew of people. Suzanne Dillingham, she's like rings chickens with her own hand down in uh, Carrot, down in Charlotte, Carolina. Lovely. But, you know, cool, cool mix up of people. And then Lance Noling in New Jersey, you know, an ex Marine sniper. So, the collection of the backgrounds of who we were before we became chefs. I was a former Navy guy, um, you know, traveled the world. So yeah, it was a pretty cool collection of people. So we traveled all throughout the Salton Sea, Redondo Beach, then to the Palm Desert. And then we went off to uh, Korea, Bangkok, and Chiang Mai, Thailand, Cambodia, Karen Hill tribe. Jeez. And this is how, we, how, how much time? It was about a month we were on. Wow, the Jesus, dude! No, it wasn't one of these normal Food Network shows that were shot in a day like Chop. <laughs> yeah, and it also wasn't. A, it also wasn't a a uh, you know an eight week long. Let's put you up in a uh, you know a luxury house in the middle of Bel Air. Yeah, it wasn't brothers. You know, well, the first night was pretty cool. We stayed at Universal Studios Hotel, and I mean, it was pretty posh. They they did put <clears> us up in pretty decent places. I mean, we didn't live in the jungle like Survivor. But during the day, I mean, it was. I mean, there was a, about a 80 of us all traveling together with all the production crew right. all over the place, you know. So, wow. I mean, well, at one point, we're on a plane flying out of Bangkok headed for Chiang Mai, Thailand. I swear to God, there were goats in the back of the plane. We're all sitting nice. there and said, are we going to die on this trip? Or do <laughs> we, we have to, or are we going to cook the goats when we get there? Exactly. I was like, yeah, is it a part of the ingredients? I'm down for it. I'll cook yeah. a few goats. I grew up as a farm boy. So Go back and go back and make <laughs> some friends real quick. Yeah, what, yeah. Um, what was the I mean, what was the hardest challenge? And, and I don't want to talk about this all the time because I know that this is so much more that yeah. more. This is just a, a very small part of what you do. But a right. lot of people do know you from that show. And so we got to touch on this stuff. So what was well, the hardest? Know. What was the hardest? Uh, I guess I don't know. Was it a challenge? What was the hardest thing? What was the thing that made it the hardest for you? And then second part of that question is what was the hardest thing that you had to do? Well, I really went into it without really any question. The other the other chefs were intimidated by me. I'm six foot two and I come in, I look like a military commando badass when I walk <laughs> in there in comparison to these guys. You know, I got this deep voice and I walk in, hey everybody, and they're like, Oh shit, who's this guy? Yeah. But then again, they're looking at me and for the most part they call me an old man. Of course. So the hardest part was like okay, there was this brother survivor, you know, like, okay, how do you manipulate this one? Who's going to be your friend to get to this one? So they don't knock you off of here and this, that, and the other, but it came down to the physical aspect of it. I mean, the first day I blew out my right quad and running and you know, <laughs> that was just done. Second day I blew out the other quad. I mean, through, through the physical challenge of it, I cracked three ribs, damn near cut my finger off, blew out two quads. And it took me like three months to heal after after we were done filming. Right. So that was sort of the hardest part. But the actual cooking of the food, whatever they threw at us was just like, I mean, it was cool for me. I mean, I I was like, wow, this is cool because I did this before. And when I was fishing here and when I was in Southeast Asia, then I just pulled from my life experiences. So the, the, the hardest part was like, not just crushing people <laughs> right. and just stomping on them and wanting to beat the hell out of them. Sure. But, you know, just, just keeping my mental process. The way that I won was through my mental process and, and sucking it up. I, I mean, I was spraying myself with sports uh, an- anesthesics and <laughs> topicals. Oh, I had you know, bandages wrapped around me, but I went through it. Sure. But the hardest challenge was the last challenge with Viet because this is where I was finally exhausted on the last day. 
uh, it was down to me and him, and I had to climb 274 stairs vertical. And if you've ever been to Bang, uh, Chiang Mai or to a temple in Bangkok, you know that when they build these temples, they build these things and they're damn near vertical. I mean, right. they're stairs straight up. So we had to run up 274 stairs, 110 degree heat, 100 percent humidity, and the sun. And you're the old man. And I'm the old man, and I'm down with this yeah <laughs> fam who I you know adore and love to death. Um, you know, I'm up against this kid and I mean, he's like a cross country runner kind of thing. And, you know, I mean, he's in a healthy, good shape. Yeah. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't drink like heavily right. <laughs> like that. He does. He's not damaged by the business yet. Sure. Yeah, exactly. He's just <laughs> so, a rookie. He's still green. Yeah. Yeah. He's just a rookie. So he had me that way. And, uh, my, my intimidation factor was, that you know, one, I had Simon Magenda up there, you know, yeah. and I'm like, I got to dial in and just pay attention to what they're saying. Right. That, that was the biggest thing. So. On that last day, I'm up there and I'm standing barefooted on a marble Buddhist temple with no shoes on, with wax melting from the walls, from all the monks burning candles, wax underneath my feet, wow. with a 2,000 degree cauldron to my right. <laughs> and I got to make one bite and one spoon for the final challenge with the ingredients that I collected as I was running up 274 stairs oh, fuck, and four really? different stations. So, you know, the challenge was the four flavors of Thailand. Sweet, bitter, sour, uh, and spicy. Right. So I had to pick out the right days, but then the end, the end ingredient was a black chicken. Little scrawny, no fat, having black chicken. <laughs> and now I got to cook it over two thousand degree heat. What am I going to make and put in one spoon that's going to knock Simon Majundas, you know, head off? Sure. Now I've been privy to all of his Iron Chef judging. I've been through this with him in other competitions before I get there. But the one thing that I knew: pay attention to what the challenge was. And I learned this through lessons being in the military. Right. Pay attention to what, the, what was the question. Right. So that was how I, how I became uh, came over top of Viet with that because it was about the four flavors of Thailand and and Viet had problems with either not enough salt or this there it, just in the pH balance. We'll talk about that later though. Right. pH balance was the whole key to the four flavors of Thailand for Simon and uh, I forget the other judge's name that she ran a cooking school there in Bangkok or Chiang Mai, whatever. <laughs> but that's what it was. So our feet are on fire. We're in 2,000 degree heat, 100% humidity. I just ran up 274 stairs. It's 110 degrees up. And that's and that and that was you know going through this. So the end dish was a, a, a black chicken temple curry mignonette. Okay, don't ask me where I come up with the name. It just wow. came out. I don't know why, but I was just thinking about, okay, I'm going to take this. And I made the sauce to get all the different four flavors of Thailand in there to put it with the black chicken. It had basically no flavor whatsoever. Right. But I thought of a mignonette, when you put it in your mouth on an oyster, about the same thing. Let me sure. cover it up. So that's what I went to. Who nice. would make a mignonette for chicken? <laughs> yeah. Not too many, but I'm pulling from old school French stuff that I got <laughs> my head beat as I, when I was a young chef. So that's yeah. how it came out. That's how I ended up winning. That's awesome, dude. Now, where did your kind of, where did like your background start? I mean, you're from where, what part of, what part of Indiana, I'm, Indiana, I'm Indiana, Indiana. Yeah. Evansville, okay. Indiana. That's where I am right now. And so where did your, where did the bug, I mean, where did you get this crazy idea to get into a kitchen? Well, that came from another Asian guy. <laughs> I, I, I went <laughs> the in Chinese Navy. delivery I guy. Yeah. I graduated high school when I was 16. I, I joined the Navy when I was 17. My mother had to sign me in because I didn't wow. care. You know, pardon my French, who was buying the next 12 pack or who was screwing Sally. Right. Didn't matter. I just wanted out. 
right. as a kid, I grew up in the woods. My, my uncles were all military. One was a sniper. My dad was in the Navy. So I grew up with all these military guys and, and growing up in the Midwest on the Ohio river, it's a lot of military guys. Yeah. So we grew up hunting. My uncle was a deer hunter. I grew up hunting, fishing. I lived my whole childhood in the woods. So I graduated, I went to the Navy, then I traveled around the world three times. So I used my stamp, my passport everywhere I could. I never took leave while I was in the Navy. Right. I took it in Germany and Tanzania yeah. and South Africa, Malaysia. Yeah. So all this stuff came together. And then I came out of the Navy and then I didn't have any intentions of being a chef. I had started the landscaping business and I was doing pretty well, but it was winter time. And, and then a buddy of mine had to leave this job working at a, a college bar and they were looking and he said, can you take this job of managing this bar? Well, it was one for one of the families up here, the Marconi's is an old name, right? Right. So, you know, whatever it is that they did, but I took the job. So taking that job, working my landscape in wintertime, then this Asian guy by the name of Richard Chen would, would come in. He could only drink one whiskey because he was allergic to it. He turned bright red. So he'd just come in and have the one, but he loved playing pool. So we became friends. So we would travel back and forth to Chicago and I'd go to his restaurant to eat because during my travel, Asian food and he was damn good at it, him and his family. So one day the NIS show up and take his prep cook and he calls me and he says, I don't care what you do, but can you just come and give me a hand? Cease the point. That's when I became a chef. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have any formal training at all? Not at that point. No, just right. growing up. I never went to a restaurant as a kid. I mean, we grew our own food. We hunted our own food. My mom would go get egg staples, whatever the hell it was. But mostly that came from farms too. So my father was a grill cook. My mother was the macaroni and cheese and, you know, pasta salad and a baker making cakes and zucchini <laughs> breads, rum cakes and all that stuff. So I had both sides of the restaurant. I had the baker and I had the chef. So I grew up with both of them cooking, my aunts cooking everything. So I learned my food from the kitchen, just like Fabio Vignani or any of the other Italian chefs. You learn it from your family. I didn't sure. learn it from a restaurant. So with that being said, I had no formal training at that point, but I began my formal training and did my apprenticeship with Richard and his father. His father was a 50-year master chef over in China and spoke no English except for hi, no, and fuck. That was it. <laughs> so, and he said on a yeah, 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 he sat on a milk crate with a uh, Chinese newspaper, 555 Internationals, and Sanka. And he began to teach me wax on, wax off for the better of the, you know, right, vision. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> and then Richard just sort of took off and left me with his old man. Well, he would take my French knife out of my hand. He'd throw it on the floor, stamp on it, break it in half, and he'd put a Chinese cleaver in my hand. And he taught me how to cook Asian food. So I'm wow. six foot two from Evansville, Indiana. Okay. And now I'm cooking Asian food with a man who speaks no English. And he didn't really like me at all. So, but he didn't have any choice because that's who Richard threw him. <laughs> <laughs> so like for the first, first six months, I had to make fried rice every morning. Now, Richard had a pension of taking me out and get me blasted every night. So I'd right. show up nine o'clock in the morning, hung over yeah. his old man screaming at me in Chinese, banging on a walk every morning. Uh. I'm like, wow, this is cool. I really want to do this. So Richard, you know, after the six months, I finally got to make family meal and the old man smiled at me and I said, okay, wow. I can do this. So Richard tried to put me over at CIA. I got accepted there, but I said, just came out of the Navy, man. I'm not going four years, go sit and get beat up by a bunch of people. So I opted to go to Scottsdale, Arizona with this accelerated program. 
because I was like, hell, it's business. The food part I got down, you know, let me roll that way. So that's what I ended up doing. In the interim, I'm working for private business clubs like Union League Club and doing different things. So in the morning, I'm working for the old man. And then I go at three o'clock, I go to the Ramada Renaissance and then do table side, you know, a la carte cuisine and, and waiting on senators and lobbyists and stuff in Springfield, Illinois. Then I would go from there to 11 o'clock at night and then go work a nightclub from 11 o'clock till four o'clock in the morning, slinging rum and Cokes and beers and shots. Right. So I'm all day long, four days, four days a week doing this and making incredible money. I mean, I got cash pouring out everywhere. So then I just lived in Chicago eating at Charlie Trotters, eating at Ed DeBevick's, every restaurant, the 90, uh, that was the 95th back in the day, Aramark had it. It's like $250 lunches back in the eighties. That was huge. But that's where I just fell in love with it all and ended up going to Scottsdale and getting my culinary degree. And then it was sort of just like shot bang. I just went, I I worked a couple of places. I worked for, uh, these Italian boys, Sicilian boys, um, had like Danny Glover coming in, you know, Ringo stars, all famous. Dude, I loved, I loved working with, I loved my Italian guys and we kind of have, I mean, look, I I didn't, I didn't get trained by, you know, what'd you say? Their checks never bounced. <laughs> no, they didn't. But you know what was weird? Like for me, and, and you have a similar kind of, I mean, we both have the same work ethic. Like we fucking work. It, it's just the game of it. It's where we are. You know, you grew up on a farm. I, look, I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia, but but my father had two jobs. My mother worked her ass off. You know, I started working in restaurants at 14. But <clears throat> I mean, my culinary school was similar to yours. I mean, with, well, my, my culinary school was, was, you know, that kind of upbringing with it was a little similar to yours. I loved my Italian guys, dude. I worked oh, yeah. at the Four Seasons for uh, four days a week for free. I worked right. at a place called San Marco, which is now the world's most unique KFC. It's actually a KFC right. in Philadelphia on, it's in a mansion. And it's a oh, fucking okay. KFC, dude. Like, it's a full-on KFC. That's and, cool uh, shit. And, it's, and, and I did, I mean, I, be, I worked in an Italian restaurant at night until 9 o'clock. When I got to leave and then I went to my paying job, which I was a bouncer at a bar. You know, I made right. I made eight dollars an hour bouncing at a bar and I met my next two employers while bouncing at that bar. But the yeah. Italian guys, I remember one time, man, we had a fire. There was like the fire alarm went off and the fire department right. showed up and the owners of the restaurant, Joe Pro was the guy's name. And the other guy's name was Fausto De Carlo. I think he was gotcha. the chef. He would they wouldn't allow them in the basement. They wouldn't allow the fire department in the basement. No shit. I, know I was why. never in the fucking basement. Why would they go in the basement? Exactly. We weren't allowed. And we had the old school. I remember that Fausto's father came in every Wednesday and would break down the sides of veal and the sides of cattle. Oh, yeah. I with mean, the, that's the way I grew up. Dude, with a fucking you know, Marlboro. With like a veal everywhere in my life. Yeah. With a 100 hanging out of his mouth. And it was like the yep. old, you remember the movie 16 Candles where she's back there, she's got the cigarette, yeah. the fucking ash oh, yeah. hanging off of it. That's who this fuck. guy was. And, and yeah, his yeah. name was, fuck, Mario. And he would fucking, dude, I loved this place. They would fry uh, up all the chicken skin and give it to the staff. That was staff. That was snack. It was the best. Yeah, right? It was the best. Hey, we don't use, you need to work in a fucking this, Italian yeah, restaurant when you start this business. Sorry, I got to do it. I had to say exactly. it. In a good school, like good old school Italian restaurant. So. There's one left in Philadelphia that I just went to about a month ago. Where? And that's the Angelos over on 21st Street. Oh, Sal and I disagree. Tony. I disagree. Those, I no, went to well, Villa I mean, de Roma. Those are cool. I They're was in Villa cool. de Roma Tuesday night. 
Oh, you were on Ninth Street. It, that was where I had my birthday. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony and Salad D'Angelo's over there off of Pine. You know where Adi Claire and them are there oh, on yeah, that yeah, one yeah. drag. There. I I became friends with those guys. I was a, a general manager for Tom Knox back in the days. There with Beaujolais, it used to be Sweet Caroline's. Yeah, sure. and then Audrey came and took it over after Tom dropped it off from Beaujolais, and she picked it up and turned it into Twenty Manning. She's but still I made crushing great. it, dude. Huh? She's still crushing it. Still crushing it. She's yeah, got Twenty Manning. She's got Audrey work. Claire. She does oh, it a hell of a job. Audrey's amazing. Yeah, my buddy dated Love her for a while. Yeah, I wanted to. <laughs> She's a she was a beauty. Hey, Audrey, I'm going to get you on the show. Audrey Claire, she's going on my Audrey next Claire. list. There's she's a beauty, man. That I would say, hey, I want to see first. Besides Audrey Claire, and I, every time I go in there, she's never there. I always ask for, her, but she's never around. <laughs> the wonders, the wonders, the wonders. All right, so boys and girls, here's the the second part. As you guys know, it's a show when I got to get sponsors. We love our sponsors because they're awesome. And right now, who I'm talking about is Nogginware. You guys know how much I love to wear a hat. You guys know how much I love to wear a hat. and I wear them all the time. I'm looking at my office right now, and I literally have like 40 hats just hanging above me. And some of the coolest ones that I have are the hats that nogginwear.com has made for me. They do my duff hats. They do all my kitchen hats for my staff, for my clients. All over the world, these guys do my hats for me. Um, they have uh, everything from a subscription to an individual hat that you can buy. They've got uh, limited edition hats. The subscription is probably the coolest because with the subscription, you're able to just kind of pay the fee every month. They send you the hats. It's free shipping. All you do is pay for the hat itself. Free shipping. You get a cool little uh, little, little thing in there that makes you a little bit smarter. We love it. We're super happy with it. But you've got to get over to nogginware.com. Talk to Scott. Tell him that I sent you. Put in Chef Brideuff as the code. and I guarantee you're going to get something super fun out of it. Again, it's nogginware.com. I put them on my lid. That's what I wear. I'm super happy with it, and I appreciate it. Thank you, Nogginware.com. Go tell them I sent you. So, all right. So, you so you're doing all that. You so you go to school. What's your what's your next step? I mean, well, in reality, you and I were a little bit different because I think we were older when we went into school. You were just out. Yeah. You were out of the Navy for a little while. I already had the Navy kick my ass. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was for me going into the food business was the closest, nearest, dearest thing sure. of being in the military. Hierarchy, that was the reason organization, why. Organization, standards. Took, absolutely. Working 18 hours a day. On, Which, know, hey, by the way, I haven't, I haven't done this yet, but thank you very much for your service, dude. I don't know if you know but, kind of my right. world, but I have a tremendous amount of respect for military, put both, both past and present. And. I travel all over the world. I cook for the troops. So I do work for Navy Entertainment. So I cook for the troops. Yeah, all over I've the been world. trying to get a gig with them, but they won't ever sound off for me. I don't know. I know Robert does. You do. A lot of people well, do. Yeah, Robert does USO stuff, though. So USO cool. is the higher, you know, these are the guys that are getting paid to do stuff. Like, we don't get paid to do this, man. This is volunteer for me, for the guys that I work with. So we're, right. we're not paid. And, and look, hey, Robert, more oh. power to you. I love him. He's a great dude. We have a lot of fun together and all that good stuff. Um, I, I just, I don't get paid. Yeah, one of my other good friends in the Food Network star, Lincoln Marriott. She just did a stint with him uh, a couple months back. I said, can't you get me a gig with these guys? Because I'd just love to get on an Amphib and just go for a cruise for a month. It'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, there's some wild stuff, man. I mean, I've been all over. Where were you stationed when you were in? Um, well, it was crazy because it's like just as much as I went to food business, I, I, I took the ASFAB. When I got out of high school because I was like, OK, what am I going to do? I was going to play football, but I hurt my knee. So 
that ain't happening. So yeah, I'm going to go in the military. I took the ASVAB and scored the top two percentile ever in the history of the Navy in vocabulary. So I had every branch of the service coming after me. Right. So I looked at my old man and I said, what do you think? Marines, Army, you know, that's my uncles. And he said, well, you're my son. Might as well go in the Navy. You see the world. I said, OK. So I, I joined the Navy. So I went in free will. I didn't really have any particular idea what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to be around jets and right. airplanes. I didn't want to be a normal Navy guy. <laughs> so I opted for an air. Deal. I said, whatever you're going to promise me, just promise me that I'm going to be around planes. I, I wanted to fly. But my, I wear glasses during and those days. You couldn't you couldn't wear glasses. Uh, so I ended up doing that and then went to uh, San Diego and ended up at MTC San Diego. And then right after that, they sent me to uh, Fighter Town USA Top Gun. And I went there and became famous with the movie Top Gun <laughs> being filmed right at the point when I went in. Oh, nice. So, well, Kelly McGillis running around her sexy white shirt. Yeah. Tom Cruise yeah, was like was, 17. I can tell you personally, at that point in time in uh, history of our lives, yes, he was very hot. <laughs> and she, she's and, uh, and, and she's not so much anymore. Nah, she's had a lot of rough life. I was actually reading up on her uh, a while back going over this Top Gun because a lot of my all my buddies from the Navy, uh, they're talking about making a, the next Top Gun. And we were trying to get see if we could get back on the show again as we were the first one. So. With that being said, I looked up Kelly McGillis. We're looking everybody up, talking about it. And Kelly went through some hard times with everything, at, you know, throughout her career and that. And, you know, it was understanding, but she's a great lady. And seems yeah. like she actually is in Philly, I think, now. Dude, oddly enough, uh, does she really? Well, first off, no. I, well, she was born. In, okay, I got it right here. So, actually, dude, her birthday, she just turned 64 uh, days ago. So, she's July 9th, yeah. 1957. Right. Uh, yeah, she's 5'10". Yeah. What's this? She's she got attacked in her own home? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the fuck out of here. Home in New York. Yeah. Her and Lawrence her girlfriend. Marie Dorn yeah. face. Wait, she's gay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's gay. Yeah. She, well, she came out of the closet. She married a guy, moved down to the Keys, opened up a restaurant. That didn't go well. Left it. Boom. Went, you know, and then I think she's living up in Pennsylvania somewhere. If, if you read through that article, you, I think you're reading the same one I did. Wow. That's crazy, dude. Well, uh, she doesn't. And we all bad. know Tom Cruise's story and Val Kilmer, so <laughs> it's no worries hold there. On, hold on, hold on. What is that? I said we all know Tom Cruise's and, uh, you know, Val Kemner's story. But, you know, Kelly, Kelly was one that was sort of quiet. You know, you didn't really hear much about her afterwards. So, yeah, she went very quiet, you know, did that and all that. And what all the article says in there, you know, had some problems drinking, whatever, this, that and the other. And, you know, went through some hard times. I mean, starting out to the whole thing just sort of had a rough, rough way to go. But, yeah. I mean, I found her to be adorable when I met her there on the set and everything. And oh, that's cool. everybody was cool. We were young, man. Risky business had just happened. So. Nobody knew anybody. Great fucking movie. So it was cool watching that motorcycle run down the runway. They must have done it like 15 times. But, you know, (laughs) the great part was I was in the Navy and we'd go down to the beach and we told them that, you know, Tom Cruise was there and he's filming. So, of course, we were the hottest thing. We had cars. All the girls would jump in our cars, come back to the base to watch his stuff. And we're like looking at the the security guys coming through. We're like, they're like, all right, go ahead. (laughs) So, yeah, we're bringing like 10, 15 girls to come watch all this stuff for, you know, the value of what we were being young boys back in the day. It's like, hey, man, we're going to score with this stuff. This is good. <laughs> That's funny, so it man. was a good time to be in the Navy for us. It was. But then, you know, after that, I was attached to VF-211 fighting checkmates. And then the next thing I know, I found my ass on the flight deck of USS Kitty Hawk in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Um 
protecting and keeping the world free you know, <laughs> as much as possible. Well, thanks for that, dude. I appreciate it. Yeah. Very so, much. yeah, it was an interesting time. But, you know, the more interesting part, was, you know, being in the Philippines, Africa, Australia, and just traveling. Uh, I think I did an interview a couple months back, and I was talking about this was in the Philippines. I actually met with the Philippine embassy two months ago looking to do some work with them on their tourism. So I was at the embassy in D.C. Uh, speaking with their uh, ambassadors and that. And they want to do a project with me, but uh, we're still working on that, still in the works. Uh, but I was telling them that you guys were the birth of my adventure and my travel and who I am today was in your country is when, you know, when I first saw Point Loma disappear over the horizon, I was like, wow, OK, this is the older National Geographics I ever read as a kid. I'm finally I'm, I'm really actually starting to live this life. Right. And in an article that I wrote a couple months back, I said just that, you know, when I first left the shores out of San Diego on the aircraft carrier, I was like, wow, man, this is real. And this is where I am today uh, through those adventures. And the Navy started it. And then I just got hooked and I never stopped traveling uh, cool, for the rest man. of my life. So when did you what point did you settle down? And, and that's a hard word to say, because I think you and I, yeah. our, our version of settle down is a lot different than most. But when was your kind of settled down moment when you got into a restaurant? And you were like, OK, I got I want to I want I got to I got to focus on this or, or this is what I'm going to do. Like, when was that moment? And where I, were wanna, you? I, I don't really think that I ever settled down. <laughs> I mean, I was just so when I came into the food business, I guess, you know, we'll skip all the great, you know, luxury stories of childhood to the time that I became a chef, but you're going into a shop. I don't think I ever really settled down. It was always what's next, what's next because of all the travel that I did. So now I want to learn German food. So I did an apprenticeship in German, Austrian, and then European continental. And then it was just like, I just wanted to consume everything I could. I slept in a car in an alley just to go spend time with Charlie Trotter in Chicago. Um, you know, when I came back from the Navy, it was definitely the fact that I missed the combines. I missed my friends. I missed all the people. But I was here for about, I don't know, six months to a year. And I'm like, oh, man, I got to go. I can't sit here and do this because I now have nothing in common with anybody I'm with. So are my friends because they don't know what I'm talking about. And sure. I'm, I'm still searching for this new excitement. It was like some people gamble. Some people like to do wild, crazy things. I was addicted. It was the adrenaline of the next night. How many covers can we do and who am I going to meet next? Sure. So that was, I know I, I'm still not settled to this day to learn and do that. But now it's sort of shifted gears to where now I'm an educator and a teacher. Right. And, and to that effect. So I, I pride the, the, the joy that I have from all of the old guard from Jeremiah Tower, Charlie Trotter, Alice Waters. Dude, I just. Oh. I just met Tower the other day. Yeah. What a nice dude, man. Living down in Mexico. He me on Facebook. <laughs> what did you say? I said he actually friended me on Facebook. That's him and, funny, uh, man. What a him nice and dude. Yeah, He's I did. Really nice. I did an event up in the Pacific Northwest a couple weeks ago, and what a just a nice man. And you know what's funny is I had, I had no idea who he was. Right. And and oddly a enough, of- he he actually reminded me of you because at first right. I thought, fuck, he looks like Terry. So it was, and the funny part is, I think you texted me like, like, like two days later, which is kind of weird that world. But I remember having a conversation with him and we were just talking about food and he had a girl who was helping him like peel shrimp. And I just kind of hopped in. I said, Hey, look, there's, you know, six segments to a shrimp. You break it here. You do here. You roll your thumb underneath. And he looks at me. He's like, Hey, thanks for, thanks for helping her with that. 
Right. And I was like, no worries, man. Like I had no idea. And then I kind of walked away and I looked back and I thought, man, that, that motherfucker is, is tower. Right. You know? So it was kind of funny that that whole thing, but if what, you're, what if a you're nice West dude. Coast chef, like I spent, I spent years in Arizona and California, you know, perfecting my craft and what it is that I do and understanding food. So, you know, when I was on the West Coast, everybody, the, the people that were running it and doing it then, because we were all babies then. Right. Uh, between Jeremiah, Thomas Keller. And then, I mean, like, Yocom Spikel. Nobody, I mean, it, unless you're a chef on the West Coast, nobody on the East Coast really knows who Yocom is. Yocom right. is just like a genius on the West Coast. He was like the forefront of opening up these, like, restaurants that were, like, with Wolfgang and, and the like of that. Everybody was trying to transcend and change the restaurant business into not just some normal stuff. I mean, they were making, you know, just different food, chocolate bread pudding. Okay. I'm just going to say something simple like that, sure. but it was like the, the quality of what he did, whether, you know, Calabot chocolate and that these were all new things that I was learning from these guys, <laughs> just going to the restaurant. It wasn't the fact of working with them, but actually sit as a customer so you could understand the experience of what it was in the artistry in the mind of these chefs right? that the regular customer didn't appreciate. But as a chef, I was trying to figure out how and why. But then when he served this chocolate bread pudding, excuse me, the um, the quality of it was amazing, but it was just simple. It was just sure. so simple. There was no twills coming out of it, no chocolate cigarettes, nothing like that. It was just <laughs> chocolate bread pudding in a white bowl. Right. And it was expensive <laughs> to me. Yeah. I mean, I thought, I mean, for some stale bread and some chocolate and eggs and cream, I mean, hell, there you go. Right. So those were the things that I found and in, in the people that sort of mentored me, like Mark Tarbell. I don't think you know who he is, but he is a Arizona chef along with uh, one of my other favorite great guys. And that's Christopher Gross out in Arizona. This guy, I side by side, you know, back and forth, work together, you know, as we say, like all the volunteer stuff that I did, I do stuff for the heart association. So I'm working next to Jack and David. I'm doing, uh, you know, whatever it is, breast cancer, whatever the charities were, I'm working side by side with these guys at Arizona food banks with Super Bowl 30. So all of the things that I did that I'd never have an opportunity to, if I didn't apply myself. And that's where a lot of young chefs forget today. It's like, you got to get out there to learn from each other because yep, one day you're going to be gray haired and you're going to talk like we are right now yeah. about that's where I learned it from was with him. And that girl will remember you about the six segments of the shrimp standing yeah. next to one of America's greatest chefs, Jeremiah yeah. Tower. And he didn't show her, you showed her, but she's always going to talk about the both of you. Well, and, and, what's, just, and the cool part about that though, was that there was a mo, you know, I mean, this was, this was fucking tower, dude. I mean, it was Jeremiah tower. Like that's who this I guy know. is. And, and and I'm standing across from him having no idea who he was at that moment. And he didn't say like, uh, you know, he he didn't get offended because a lot of chefs would get offended. Like, they're, you know, yeah. even in these situations where we're doing a demo, it's a really cool thing. And we're there. We're doing all our stuff. But, you know, you get your crew when you get into those situations and, you know, your crew's there to help you. So my crew right. was done, kind of dispersed my crew out to other people because I was done for the day and I was just kind of walking around. And so it was it was kind of neat that way. That's but that's the way that that we are, I think. Right. You know, I think a lot well, of us I, chefs I've in this, been that way. I remember um, I wasn't oh, I wasn't I was a dickhead. Oh, no, I think it was Tracy DeGeneres. 
I was at, at Super Bowl 30 and I, and I was done and I went to help her. Okay. She's making rutabaga casserole. <laughs> she's got, oh my God, it was 50 pounds, a hundred pounds of rutabagas and they weren't nearly ripe at all. And this was my first experience with a global knife. I went home from that experience bleeding yeah. from cutting rutabagas. Didn't just doing it for her, but I did it for her. Right. And, and, you know, because once I started, I said, I could have walked away, but I said, you know, whatever drive that I have in my life as a chef or a businessman, if I commit to something, I'm $5 for $5. Once I put into it, I don't stop no matter how much I'm bleeding this, that, and the other. I mean, I'm going to do it and follow it through. Yeah. Sort of way that I won that show, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm not, you know, I'm not a quitter. Once you, <clears throat> once you commit to something and you put it in there, but you know, you build that respect with other chefs that they know that you, you've got their back. Yeah. You know, it's like, Hey, we're all in this together. And it's about the customers on the other side of that wall that, you know, Hey, let's make it good for everybody. So Jeremiah, you know, he shines, yeah. you shine, I shine. That's what it's all about. Uh, the camaraderie I think has gotten lost. Um, oh, yeah. You know what though? But there's a great, I mean, you know, I, I love seeing some of the stuff. I've got some great chefs that are friends. I've got some yeah. great friends that are chefs that, you know, like my buddy, Chad Rosenthal, he's here in Philly. Like I'm oh, going to run over to his style. Yeah. Great guy. Food he's Network star. Awesome. Talked to him a couple of times. Yeah. He's a great guy. And then like, you know, I mean, I'm going to run over to his place tonight and my other buddy, Nikki Libs, Nick, Nikki Liberato, who's out at the Venezuela out in Cali and he's opening up spots as well. He's going to be home for a couple of days in August and we're at the end of July. And it's like, all right, well, let's go to Chad's place and, you know, let's go in his kitchen and fuck around for tell a while. Chad, so. Tell Chad that I still want to come and see him. It's been like since he was on the Food Network star, I've been promising to come and see him forever. Yeah, he's a good man. Chad and I have gotten uh, we've gotten to become very good friends over the last uh, last couple of years, and we we have a lot of fun together. And I'm a I'm a huge fan of his. I, I'm 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 very impressed at his talent and and what he does. I just I think he's a good egg. So you know, and that's the kind of point that I've gotten into with chefs. I mean, I've. You know, I, I, I'm 46 years old, man. You know, I, I have fun with what I do. I'm, the style of food that I do is not um, super crazy or over the top. I just have a lot of fun with it. You know, I mean, I'm a chef. Exactly. I've been in the business. But but it's cool the chefs that I work with now, uh, you know, and it's neat to watch the respect that everybody has for each other. But you get a lot of these younger guys who are out and they're just really cocky. You know, they want to come out with their tools and their tats, and, and that's what they want to do. Um, but at the same know, time, you got to remember – <clears throat> Back in the day, we were cocky too. What are you oh, doing? Why? Yeah. What are you doing? You know, Dude, the first ten years, take it with a grain of salt. I have two. I have two segments of my life that I talk about in this business. The first ten and this and the and the last ten. The first right. ten, I I had to work my balls off because I I didn't delegate. I didn't delegate the responsibilities because I had to do it myself. You know, Me I was too. the guy who was standing in the kitchen. You know, after she's saying to a guy, hey, Julianne, those onions for me. And then he fucks the onions up. And then I go over and say, you know what? Don't worry. I, never mind. I got it. I got it. Right. And then I, I would take it and just work with it. I wouldn't say shit. I just take it and like, yeah. all right, we're going to punt and go with this. Well, I learned this from Louis Paladin. God rest his soul. The, wow. the, the funny part is, Brian, is that the guys I talk about, <laughs> they're in a nursing home or they're not with us anymore. Is all the guys that mentored me as I get older. You're 46. I just turned 50 this year. So it's like, woohoo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get it, man. I mean, look, there were, you know, there's a lot of times where I, you know, I meet guys and, and I'm just like, all right, man, go do your thing. Go right. do your thing. Go yell, go scream, go do it. Cause, cause I did it. I did it. Right. And they come back. Oh. And, you know I mean? I've hired chefs. I remember throwing pots and pans around the kitchen because that's what I learned, you know, sure. from all 
Well, dude, I worked at the Four Seasons. Right. I did I did my apprenticeship at the Four Seasons with you know Jean Marie Lacroix and Tony Clark and Tony, who is a great guy, and I, oh, I've seen him. Tony, this is one of my best friends. I just talked to him about a month ago. This guy, we got to talk to you. I, I got to talk to you about this after the podcast. Yeah, but Tony's a very dear good friend of mine. We've been friends for years, and that guy's always broke his butt for me. Yeah, and uh, he used to throw shallots at me. Yeah. He, I was at the Four Seasons working for free, and he was throwing shallots at me from across the kitchen. That's yeah. not any shallot. That's a fucking Four Seasons shallot. You're going to exactly. peel it the right way. You're going to make it happen the right way. And I had nothing to say about it because I was an apprentice. I was there for free. Right. I'll, dude, I will never forget, Tony. I said to him one day, I pulled him and Marty Hammond, who was a sous chef at the time. I think he was, yeah, he was a sous for the day. And Jean-Marie Lacroix, I remember sitting down with them and saying, I want to be on the line. Like, I right. know that CIA students are in here and they get paid and I want to get paid right. as well. And they said, right. okay, cool. No worries. And he, next thing I know, they took me off a prep schedule on a Thursday. They put me on a Thursday night uh, line shift, ready for this. No fucking training. They yep, put me on the hottest day. They put me on the, uh, on the fish station uh, where I yep. just sat there and I just seared fish and cooked fish for fucking hours. And, right. and I was sweating my balls off. It was so fucking hot. And I'm plating Four sweat. Seasons food, man. I'm plating Four Seasons food. And it was an awesome moment for me. And then the next day, I went in, and I was back on prep. And I said, okay, when can I get back on the line? He said, when I feel that you're ready, that's it. I gave you your chance last night. So my right. good wasn't great for them. So I wasn't going right. back on that line until, right. I, until they felt that I was ready. Now, I, I right. worked there for a long I worked there for about a year, and then I, I had to go make money. I couldn't do the free anymore. Right. But right. yeah, it was a big deal, man. Well, I mean, yeah, you did a lot of that. I mean, I was always working, but I mean, I was working. I mean, I remember I was making six fifty an hour, you know, and, my and first that. job when I graduated culinary school, I was making four hundred and twenty five dollars a week living. in the Yeah. Place. Yeah. Yeah. Making no money. I yeah. mean, my first deal, I mean, I was like, I'd take pasta home from a restaurant. <laughs> I would take oranges from the trees. I mean, I, I lived off the damn land just to be able to afford for the place that I lived. I actually, when I was in culinary school, I, I worked for the complex throughout the middle of the night repairing stuff. I worked at a restaurant, the Italian restaurant with the, the Levy's, Avanti's in Arizona. And then I was like, I had like a half a day to myself to do study and do my laundry and get rest. A half a day Saturday and a half a day Sunday. That was it for a solid year non-stop i mean i'm just going from seven o'clock in the morning i slept in my chef clothes i'd iron them and i'd sit in a chair yeah. so that when my buddy knocked on the door to pick me up and take me to school i just stood up took my knives and went right to class <laughs> and then went from class at three o'clock went to the restaurant and got yelled at with no air conditioning windows wide open sure. in arizona you yeah. know how hot it is yeah and i'm standing over the pasta station in my first start i begged for the job to be there right begged for it and they finally gave it to me. And then I sat in there with this one chef, Gino, and he said, are you sure you really want to be a chef? And then the Sicilian bosses would come in and say, forget what you know. This is Avanti's. This culinary yeah. school stuff is for nothing. This is the way you make a cardinal sauce. Then their mom would come in and then the, the girlfriend would come in. And then everybody's telling me what to do. And I'm just like throwing shit. And I start slamming tours. I got this one brother. <clears throat> we serve lobster every Friday night. <clears throat> but he was allergic to seafood. So I couldn't catch him. Half the time he's in the bathroom smoking crack. I got women coming in at high heels, no clothes with fur coats, wanting cooking lessons. <laughs> people. Next thing I know, I'm trying to keep that away from other people. I'm trying to keep a lot of names out, not involved as 
not to incriminate anybody, but it was the true quintessential, like, you know, Anthony can tell you about it. And as kids are confidentials, I, I, everybody tells me I shouldn't write the book, but if I was to write my book and I was to tell about everything that's happened to me in my whole culinary career and just change the names and change whatever it is and locations, you would not believe it's going to be 52 shades of hell greatness compared to Kitchen Confidential, trust me. And what he didn't say happened. That's the thing that a lot of the chefs today with the way that the work world is and political correctness and the way that restaurants are run today, I can't say that it's not better for the change, but at the same time, man, it was romantic. And that was the only thing that kept me in it was the show. It was the show that kept me in it. It wasn't about how fast I could make gnocchi, how fast I could get, you know, muscles out the door. Didn't matter how 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 much uh, tenure or sinew I left in a leg of veal. It was who's coming in, who am I going to have to serve, make, uh, you know, uh, what's my favorite? Did Bananas Foster with white chocolate tartufo for Harry Carey, yeah. for, you know, Ringo Starr, Mario Andretti. That was the adrenaline. I'm like, okay. I remember one night working my butt off. And it's like 1130 at night. And out of nowhere, Robert Demater D comes in. He looks at me and he, he just walks in with a glass of scotch. He says, here, he said, I need you to stay. I said, dude, I got school in the morning. I got semester exams. I have got to go study. Dude, just do this solid for me. I'm like, Robert, I can't. I got to go. You're the only one we can depend on. All right. So, okay, who is it? Bon Jovi, the whole band coming in. Back in the day, we're serving Wagyu beef back here in the days well before it became this popularity that it is today. Right. And then they said they want full-blown-ass steaks. I said, no, I don't want to feed that to you. You're not going to be able to handle it. Oh, no, no, no. You got to blow it up. Robert's screaming. That's why you're going to do that, dude. All right. I'll serve him the big-ass pound steak. Yep. They're all going to throw up. Yep. Sure as hell because they were all drunk coming in there. Boom. Next thing you know, Rob's like, oh, my God, everybody's vomiting, man. They're all after they couldn't take all that fat. I said, I told you, dude. <laughs> they said, well, here, here's another scotch. So these guys would feed me full of scotch after like the 11 o'clock hour. I mean, yeah. it's true rock star. I mean, my life as a chef was total music rock star. Yeah. It was the quintessential dream that any chef today would want to live. I mean, it was like the, the everybody's like, the women are coming back. They want to meet me. Why was it? Oh, this was so good. The men are like, man, can you come and do my party? Teach me how to make this from football players to whoever it was. And I'm like, I'm just making a salad, but it's so good. <laughs> I look at it like, okay, whatever. But I guess that was the magic that I had all my life that I just made what my food was from the heart right. and everybody appeared it. I didn't get beat up like you did by the, the French guy like that. Totally yeah, never, yeah. But, but it, it, you know what? He, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it's not like, you know, I mean, look, I did the things that we had to do as an apprentice. Worse. What's that? It could have been worse. I had it a totally March mad. I had a March madness, uh, in Arizona. I had my, those was like one of my first restaurants partner up with this guy. We got 12,000 foot sports bar, downtown Phoenix. I'm in there and it's March madness. All right. We just took over this property. We're doing our stuff. I just came in. We've been there about four or five months. we got 26 satellites, all this stuff going to places, falls to the walls packed. Now, we didn't bother to look at the grease trap main that's running into this thing. Well, everybody's using the bathroom. Some girl put a tampax in the damn thing, whatever. The next thing you know, all the floor sinks are coming up in the dining room everywhere. <laughs> Nobody will leave. 
I'm in the back with a slotted spoon up into my shoulder in a hole, digging out the carotid artery of this of the damn right. to get the water out so that they would go. I mean, I'm telling you, there's everything floating on the floor. Oh. I'm taking cloths, building dams around the bar. Yeah. So because we leave, they didn't care. They said they, they gave me the finger. So yeah. no, they were drunk. And so that was one of my most crazy nights. I come out and I got grease and crap and all this shit all over me, man. The white chef coat, screw that. Just give me black teeth. <laughs> so what, you know, one of the things that we, we, you and I had kind of talked about uh, prior before getting on the call was about some of the, the work ethic today and, and, and especially in the world of the millennial and hipster and, you know, I mean, these people, I mean, we both have had experiences and, and how are you, you know, now with what you're doing, how are you handling that? Well, I mean, a lot of attention has been brought to me and my travels and, and, and I travel a lot now. Like, I mean, uh, in the past, you know, just this year, I've been in Guatemala from Guatemala to Panama, Belize, Trinidad, Tobago, the Keys. I'm all over the place looking at the world and working and doing different things and consulting and doing these jobs. But the big thing over the past year came up with the American Culinary Federation, the National Restaurant Association, all these bloggers, everybody that thinks they know everything about the food. Okay, here I am. It's like, I guess, in the food world, if we look at it from the Vatican's point of view, I'm like one of these archbishops, you know, one of these cardinals. It's like you're just living in some dark corner of the Vatican that's sent out on these exorcist missions to go fix things. <clears throat> they don't know how to work with millennials. Yeah. I said, well, tell me what you're doing with them. Tell me how you're approaching them. Because if we, I think the problem is, is that we're calling them millennials. I think it's offensive in the first place. I don't know where it came from, except for, okay, you're the millennials. But they're using it as like identifying in a, in a derogatory way that chef, you're a millennial. That means like you're worthless. Who are you? Oh, you don't know. Now, it could have been the same for us, but they didn't call me a Gen X. You know, right. they, didn't yeah. call, they didn't call Thomas Keller a baby boomer. So I think if we stop doing that, it's going to help a lot right out the gate. Quit calling them names. Yeah. They're, 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 yeah they are I, chef. They're chef Tom. They're chef Bob. Yeah, but they're still looking for titles, man. They're still looking for entitlement, and 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 it hasn't. I I I don't think it has a lot to do with us putting a label on them because you know we had baby boomers before that, we had hippies, we had you know we've had all that stuff. My point, my point being is, is that as we as you all this conversation we just had before, there was there was Tower, there was Alice, there was Keller. Yeah, they beat her ass. There was Tony Clark. Yeah, they beat her ass, but. They didn't even say our name. They just threw shit at us. Yeah. So yeah, I no, guess I understand that. I understand that. So when I look at the, the young people coming through today, I agree with you 100%. We're, Dude, we're fucking it. old. We're calling them young people, man. What the fuck? Exactly. We're old. That but old. my point is, let's look at, let's look at our fathers. They all ran around with crew cuts. They were actually, you know, they came out of Korea. They came out of Vietnam. These guys were hardcore criminal. Sure. Freaking been, been at war. I mean, being in a kitchen was nothing compared to what world war one, world war two, you know, Korean war and all that was the mentors that we had, we had our, you know, I don't know how many times my dad broke a belt on my ass or he made me, you know, cut wood. You did that. No, you learned it as a kid. Now, yeah. kids are not put through that, so they don't understand the expectation of walking through the doors 
of a great restaurant right. or just the Carabas for that matter. You have no idea. They have no idea of the hours that have to be put in. Yeah. Now, I ain't going to bash Food Network, but I'll go back to when I was in culinary school, Food Network started right. when I was in culinary school, just started. It was like when MTV's first started or <laughs> CNN cables happened. Yeah. So Food Network started, ready, set, cook. That cute little blonde. And then all of my buddies from Arizona, uh, Chef uh, 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 Raz Kamnizer and then Mark Tarbell and all these guys were on that show. Yeah. And then I'm in school and I'm like, wow, man, that'd be really cool to you know be on Food Network. It's like cool, I guess. But it never really had dawned on it. But after that came out, they had they were putting Iron Chef on. That's yeah. when it became real. <clears throat> now that that's gone, but the Iron Chef Japan was like, okay, now this is the real stuff. These are real chefs going at it because I don't understand what they're saying. There's no ego. Yeah. It's technique. It's yeah. skill. It's care. It's preparation. Art. Fashion. So well, the network <laughs> sort of destroyed that with coming up because as you and I have been on there. It's like you got there and you did that, but it wasn't, you know, it's not explained that, okay, you do it once and then you may never do it again. Yeah. Now that one thing that you did, it was a one second challenge. Doesn't make you a celebrity chef. Me and right. Simon Magenda talk about this at a great length. What is a celebrity chef? Everybody that goes to culinary school and it's a large part of the ACF and the NRA's problem that they're pumping these kids into school. They're getting state funding, but they don't understand what they're getting into. Sure. When I you agree. and I, back in my day, totally. you have to, you know, write a 700, a thousand word essay, why you want to be a chef. Yeah. My graduating than, class was 12 people. Right. Mine because, was only like more than half people. of them dropped out because of the fact that right. they had no idea what they were getting into. Half my class dropped out the first week. Yeah. They were gone. Done. So, but then as I look at myself out of my class, I'm probably one of five out of 20 or 30 are still in the business. Dude, I'm one of three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we go back and we're checking out the younger guys today, my goal, as I say, is a priest to this business. And then, you know, let's look at the hat. Let's look at it. Go back to Katerina Medici, where the uniform came from. Let's go yeah. back to Escoffier, like uh, Jason Roberts, my good friend from Australia, New Zealand, which one of the one he's from. But he's from New Zealand, lives in Australia. But Jason Roberts, he was like on the chew. He's that great gluten-free chef. He he and I both understand one thing, the lost art of the chef and the respect. I'm sitting in New York, Upper East Side, on 90th Street. And I'm looking down over a steak restaurant. It's about, I don't know, 7 a.m. in the morning. And I see a guy out in the street. Now, I know damn well he's not the chef. Yeah. Because I've been in there a couple of times. And he's got a chef coat on, and he's out sweeping the gutters with a chef coat on. Yep. Now, as I tell again at every interview I do, I cannot put on a police off, uh, officer's uniform and write tickets or arrest you. I can't put on a stethoscope and diagnose you. Yeah. What gives anybody God reason? And I go back and I'm great friends with Chef Works Clothing. And I bitch at him. I said, you know, there's got to be criteria for this uniform. I've given up 35, 40 years of my life here in being a chef and the respect that I have that if, I, if a doctor got the same respect, I see a doctor out there sweeping the street, would you want him to diagnose you? Right. No. Would you want that cop to protect you? No. Yeah. You know, so these are the things that I look at. It's the respect. And that's where a lot of the, the, the younger chefs coming up today, they don't understand what that was. Because if we go back to what Tower got his respect from, 
Alice got her respect from, Trotter got his respect from, where the chefs way even b- before them. Let's right. go back to Bukos, okay? That sexy son of a bitch. But all the great French chefs that taught them here in the States, they're all, they're all gone. So it's up to us. And what it was that we were left by that French chef and Tony that threw shallots at you yeah. to get them to understand it's not that we're beating you up. It's not that we don't think you're great, but there is a reason and there's a method and the basics that you've got to learn. If we look at Jacques Pepin, Simon tells me all the time. The best. He says, I get the hair stands up on the back Fuck of my yeah. neck. Just watching Jacques Pepin cut mirepoix. Dude, when he breaks he says, down he gets, a he fucking gets a woody chicken. From it. He tells me this. When he I teaches says, you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go, go. <laughs> no, it's fine. I tell Simon, I mean, Simon and I are very good friends. And I said, Simon, that's getting a little too much information for me over here with the Woody on yeah. Jacques Pepin. <laughs> this. I say he's a great man, but Mirapla gives, gives you that. But that's just Simon. Simon's so passionate. Yeah. And then I've watched Simon come from Iron Chef America judge, turn into an amazing chef himself. Yeah. And I've been beside him doing a lot of this stuff with him uh, throughout the years since I won Extreme Chef. So it, it's a different world right now. And what we're living in in the food service industry, because restaurants are closing. There's yep. a huge bubble right now that all the independent baby restaurants, gastro pubs, all this are closing because the owner is the only one that can work the restaurant because they cannot find staff. They sure. can't find anyone dedicated to work for a minimum amount of money and believe in the dream that one day that they may take over this restaurant and, and build the legacy. If we go to Boston, we go to Manhattan Tavern on the Green. Okay. Damn, man. I mean, you know, to keep these establishments alive, there has to be a hierarchy. And I think apprenticeships need to come back. I agree. Forget culinary school. I don't I don't want you to go in there and tell me how many cups are in a gallon. I, I don't need this. But need, you know what? You know what you yeah. do need is we need people to know that shit because I interview kids and I interview and, and I keep saying kids, but I interview cooks all the time. And one of the first things I say to them is how many ounces are in a cup? Because I they have no that. fucking idea. I know they don't, but at the same time, my grandmother taught me hand, hand scratch. Okay. That's what I grew up with. So, and then in Chinese cooking, you know, you got an eight ounce ladle, everything is measured by eight ounces and everything's there. So either that or a five gallon bucket. (laughs) Yeah. In the industry, the principle of getting too caught up into it, but I think it's a mixture of both. I mean, when I say basics, yes, you need to to know how to make a batonet. You need to know how to Julianne. You need to oh, be able on, to dude. have nice skills. 75% of the kid, 75% of people that are walking out right now are having a hard time understanding what a batonet is. They, they well, don't know what it is. And do you know why? And do you know I why? Because my head two weeks ago when I saw the word batonet, I'm like, when's the last time I cut a batonet? I fucking cut them crazy. all the time, dude. Because yeah. I say to my cooks all the time, like, you know, I mean, yesterday, here's a prime example. I walked into my restaurant. I haven't been in there in a couple of weeks. I have a girl who's working the line who's kind of a half a half-assed cook at this point. And I have I have been very nice and saying to her, to my staff, my my management staff, either get rid of her or teach her how to fucking do something. Right. Okay? Get rid of her, teach her how to do. So I walked in yesterday and I had my knives with me, I had my kit, and I was going through my knives yesterday, and they were kind of they were looking a little shabby. I had some issues with them. So I brought them in and she walked in behind me and I turned around and looked at her and I said, You're spending time with me today. Here's my knives. I want every single piece of equipment in here, wiped down and polished. I want all my right. carbons completely re. I want them. If there's any rust on them, get rid of it. I want them re-oiled right. and I want them resharpened. 20 right. minutes later, this fucking girl walks into me and says, chef, I'm done. And I said, there's no way in hell you're done. No it's way. It's a 15 pound it, it, fucking it, knife kit. 
walk back I, there. I've got about 25 in mind. It, it, would take, it would take a half hour per knife. And, well, and that's, that's what I said. So she's coming in today. Knife. She's walking in today again. And the first thing I'm doing is handing her my knives and saying, now start over again. Because you know what? You got to respect the knife first. Exactly. You got to respect it. And, and if, I'm, if I'm asking you to Julianne something, don't automatically go and grab the mandolin unless you've shown me that you can do it with a knife. Exactly. Because then I've had people come to me and say, well, we didn't I'm have. I'm still scared of son of a bitch. after 30 nah, years, I don't like French it. torture for Americans. But I walked into one of my old, one of my, my consulting kitchens that I walked a couple months ago. And I walk in and the guy's got julienne carrots in a bag. And I said, where'd you get these from? He said, oh, we ordered from, first off, he said, oh, we ordered from Cisco. We got it from Cisco. I don't Cisco. buy from Cisco. Yeah. You know, I, so I don't even buy from Cisco. So now he switched my spec automatically. And I said, oh my well, God. And what are these for? And he said, oh. Well, one of the guys got cut by the mandolin the other day, so we didn't want to use the mandolin anymore. I said, oh my cool, God. Get a fucking knife. Oh, my you know God. I mean? It's so easy, and that's you one of the things. I got a 50. You know what I'd have done? I say, hey, guys, 50 hey, this, this is the kind of asshole that I am, though. And then make carrot right. soup. I want, the, I want the entire staff out back. Yeah. I would go get a lawnmower and a 50 pound bag of carrots, and I would put them there. And I would take that lawnmower and run over them carrots until they were chopped to shit. Yeah. Carrots are flying all over their <laughs> fucking shoes. <laughs> so if they can appreciate what I'm talking about to cut something, you yeah. really don't get it. I'm trying to get you to understand. <laughs> I've had this discussion more than once over my career, yeah. over and over and over again. But I, I, I mean, I just try to think, how do I scare this shit into you? Yeah. That a 50 pound bag of carrots and I just run a push mower over it. This is what you're doing to me. Yeah. This is what you're doing to me. Would you serve this shit to my people? Well, and I love standing is, next to them with dollar hand. bills and throwing dollar them. bills. Every time they cut something, I throw a dollar bill in the trash can. I'm like, what the oh, fuck are you doing? God. I'm like, I'm throwing the money away as fast as you are. I, I exactly. I but can I prepare. I can walk into anybody's restaurant and go through their, their slim gym on the end of a line sure. and prepare a freaking five course dinner for a hundred people out of each fucking session whether it's lunch or dinner every day yeah. i'm like what is this in here you got like half a zucchini you threw what are you doing yeah. well you know i caught it and i only needed this much right what's wrong with you when i do i do the old scallion trick so i pick up one scallion and i say okay what are you going to do with this the first thing i do they cut the top off next thing i do yeah. they cut the bottom off they take that beautiful white fucking flesh off the bottom and they cut it off and i said okay how much did this scallion cost i don't know okay cool let's go get an invoice Bring the invoice oh, nobody in. understands. Okay, it's a dollar ninety-five a bunch. How many are in a bunch? Okay, cool. It's twelve in each bunch. Great. Do me a favor. Break it down. How many is that each? Okay, it works down to be a you know works out whatever. Let's say it's twenty-six cents. I said, okay, cool. So you just cut the top of it off. Now it costs you twenty-nine cents. Now you cut the right. bottom off. Now it costs us thirty-two cents. You know, I mean, look, we we can go back and forth on this shit all day. So what are you doing? What what are you up to now? I mean, what's your what's your world now like? Well, I'm getting ready to do just everything that we're talking about. I've got, you know, my buddy here. He's a king at the bar and entertainment. Now, today at noon, I'm getting ready to go into establishment. He just opened up on uh, May 5th. And I'm going to go in. He doesn't. And he tells me, I don't know nothing about restaurant side. I don't know nothing about the food side. He's a genius and he's got an amazing business going. But the food side, he doesn't know anything about. But he can't find anybody to, to that can take over this restaurant side. So he's damaging customers left and right, not him potentially, but the fact that he can't get, find a way to pull it together. So I told him I come out and look at it. We try and figure it out. And I spent, you know, a few hours there yesterday and I know what my work is today, walking in, bringing my knives in. I'm going to take the two or three people that I got in there. And then we're going to try and figure out how to build the kitchen. If I showed you a picture of the kitchen, 
Brian, you would say, yep, ain't no way in hell you could ever put food out of here. The nah, line's fuck not that. Dude, I've seen some crazy ones. Together. So <laughs> I'm going in and I'm going to build his line. I'm going to pull it together, assess what it is. And this is not just the kitchen, but then outside we need shades because the sun, it's an outdoor venue uh, for the most part of the restaurant. So I said, well, if we do this, I'm waiting on these $1,500 shades to come. I said, dude, we'll go to the canvas shop over here. We'll get it for 200 bucks a piece and we'll get it up by tomorrow. So it's these things that I'm looking at. Okay, how do I get you where you need to be and then figure out how to get your food right? I'm looking at the food. Nothing really wrong with it. Buying it all from Cisco. All this pre-made. Boom, 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 boom. But there's better ways that we can do it. Let's change up the menu. Menu's too big. Okay, let's size it down a little bit. Let's figure out a way to operate it. But I won't know exactly what to do until I see this place fully functional during the weekend to say, okay, there's where the damage is. This is why this doesn't work. You know as well as I do. I can sit and talk to you on the phone about it all day long. But if I don't, it's it's all about the people that are working it. What's their skill set? What's their skill level? What? How far can I push them? Who do we need to get to facilitate this? I look at this business as I say, a priest. I'm very religious about it. But at the same time, it's sports or it's war. I call it going to war. This is you know being ex-military. I have to fulfill the ability of a mission to feed all these people, get these people through, have them happy when they leave. It was the best time they ever had in their life. So with that being said, I have to go in and it's like boot camp. I got to assess my recruits who I got here. Who's going to be the one that's going to lead my platoon? Now let's get ready to teach you about claymores, hand grenades, and everything else that's going to blow up in your face come 6 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock. This guy doesn't show up. Can you do it side by side? All, all you can do is wash lettuce. Why are you in my kitchen? That's the only thing you know how to do. So these are the things that I got to assess in every place that I go to. You know that as well as I do, as you're telling yeah. me about your own places. So that's what I'm working on now. Outside of my entrepreneurial side, um, you know, I partnered up in fashion industry with a coacher designer. So I'm in fashion clothes. So I'm uh, writing an adventure luxury travel column that's based on travel and resorts and different countries and cuisine and arts and people and politics. So I'm writing. Uh, along with that uh, in my journal, then I'm doing recipes for Florida Sport Fishing Magazine coming up here in a, a couple of weeks down in Boca, doing a whole year, one shot, bi-monthly oh, magazine, doing six recipes, cooking it, shooting it, and writing the recipes and writing the articles, boom, done. Nice. So in between that, I go there. And then I'm thinking, hey, Brian, I'd love to come and spend some time with you just to sit and be this kind of guy that like <laughs> talks to some of your people and just supports them and sort of you know, spend my time with different chefs that they're out there hearing this. I've got no problem coming in and, and talking to the young chefs, talking to your young commies and everything that you got in there and, and giving them the support. I think that there needs to be a lot of love given to these people. I'm not trying to say that, OK, they're entitled, that I got a pussyfoot around and and kiss they their are. ass. They are. Telling you they're and, entitled. But, I know. <laughs> I, and I agree with that. But it's sort of like you know, fucking between the drunk, this, this whole Democrat Republican bullshit war, there has to be somewhere where it stops to say, okay, I get it. Now, let when me I have a bartender who walks up to me and tells me that they don't want to work there anymore because I'm stifling their personality. We have issues. Wow. We have issues. And that problem wow. is, is that there was a whole line of people before her that, that, that made similar statements to that. Not as bold, not as as not as prima donna esque, but fuck you. 
Fuck you. Well, it's not about your personality and, and, that and I'm this interested is sort in. Sort of something. This is something that, like, you agree with me on this. If there were more chefs that own restaurants, and this is something that's like, I don't know, lobbyists, Congress, this shit, and the other. But because anybody can own a restaurant, not everybody can be a doctor. Not everybody can have this, that, and the other. Be a freaking CPA. Why the fuck did they let CPAs and lawyers own restaurants and be the ones that determine what the menu is, what the chef is going to cook, how he's going to come to work, when he's going to come to work, and take away everything? I hear this word now, chef-driven concept. And I'm like, what the fuck's that mean? I don't know. Tell me what the fuck that means. That's some new shit some blogger at Cisco dreamed up. To, to fucking get them to buy more food from them. It's all in the marketing of bullshit. These big corporations shoving food in there to make all their money. Cisco's like killing everybody. Can't keep a restaurant open because the, the food costs are so high. But the thing is, is this, that whatever the concept is, the chef has given the fucking respect. The guy worked his ass off like for me. And I walk in and some, some lawyer or whoever it is, and, I, and I'm not judging anything, but if I walk in there and you want me to come and fix something, and, and my and my buddy from high school, and that's what I'm doing. He's walking there and he looks at me and he said, and I'm watching him and he's looking at, he's beat up. We were getting gas yesterday and the, and the customer said, yeah, I'll never come back. I had to wait 30 minutes for a beer. He's like, man, I just can't find staff that, you know, I got turning over people. Yeah. Nobody Did wants I have the work. problem in my place big time. And, and I'm a fucking consultant. Totally and I have the problem. Crazy. I just hired a management firm in my place to go in and run it. I know. Yeah. Because it's, because it's that bad. Management. Team, who the hell are they, and what do they know about food? Because this is what this—they're uh, not touching the food; they're handling my operations in the front of the house. Operation. That's well, what see, this doing. is the same thing as what my buddy Kerry's going through. He—he—he's in there. Trust me, dude. He's doing about a, almost a hundred grand a week in sales, and fuck the food because he's damaging everybody with the food. But he's still doing a hundred grand a week and booze and 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 the other aspect of it. So. He says, yeah, I hired this fixer from Logan Steakhouse. And then she throws her hands up and said, I can't do anything with it. So for me, when somebody says that they hire a management company or a fixer, and, and then when you hear the customer say, Carrie, you need to be in there. It's your plate. You need to be in there. That's sort of like the thing. It's like it's so hard. But like guys like me and you, it's like that's why I haven't opened another restaurant right now is that I, I'm enjoying everything that I'm doing and the diversity of my entrepreneurial spirit yeah. and and what I get to do in the food service industry now and be this mentor to that, whether or not all the upper V's, ACF, Cisco, they like me. You don't have to fucking like me, man. I'm going to tell you how it is because <laughs> it's not about a one dish cooking competition in eight hours that you're some fucking genius chef and you got this award. It's about the seven days of fucking week, 18 hours a goddamn day, being a shrink, being a doctor, being a marketing, <laughs> being a sales rep. Dude, we sound like doctor, old, bitter chefs. Dude, I'm a real chef. I'm no bullshit. I'm we sound like old, bitter chefs bitching about the young guys. You tell me that you got a restaurant that can't work. It means that I can fucking help you because yeah. I will walk in and it's just like having my children. You know, I got my kids right now. You know, I don't really have to do too much because they worked in the restaurant. I put my four-year-old, I made her do the commercials for the restaurant that I like, opened underneath my, her name. My daughter was in the restaurant with me last night cleaning out the bar boxes. Four years old. It's in two takes, she did the commercial. Hey, everybody, come to Emma's Rotisserie because it's tasty, baby. She was four. Then she sat at the register playing Door of the Explorer on the internet until a customer came in. And then she would actually ring up the damn orders for them. They'd go yeah. in, and she was four years old, five years old, <laughs> sitting in the restaurant, and then and, and running the cash register for me. So as she's grown up now, 
Now she's on a National Honor Society. She's fucking French honor. So she does calculus by herself on the bus. And now I've turned her into this fashion model and took her to New York with my fashion opportunities. So in both my kids, and then she's joining crews. She wants to go to Stanford and be a, a marine biologist engineer and shit. So it's all an in inspiration of what it is. So if we look at the new chefs coming up and we look at them as our children, because God dang it, Thomas did it. <clears throat> all the guys that taught me and you did it. Yeah, they did it. But there's got to be teaching. Here's the problem. I went at Fort Lauderdale artists. Hey, we got it. We got to cut. We got to cut soon because we're we're at like an hour and okay. a half. So we're, we're gonna have to do a second episode, dude. You told me before we got on. Tell me to shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Exactly. Tell me to shut the fuck <laughs> up. Dude, I, I mean, but this is my passion about this business. I know. I I'm the same life. way, brother. I'm too fucking dying. And I will sit with every big headed white tote gold mini two fifty two fucking letters behind your name and tell you about the real business. They didn't like it when I did that to them in Phoenix last year. I yeah. got nothing but a bunch of frowns, but I was just trying to be fucking real. Just like Graham Elliott, just like you, just yeah. like all of us that are passionate and watching our industry be destroyed by fucking bloggers and these vloggers and, and customers that come in and think that they want to just bash a restaurant and destroy it. But they have perfect right because there's no service left in America. When I'm in Belize, I'm in Guatemala, I'm in Jamaica, I'm in Trinidad, I'm in France, there's service. The yeah. biggest problem in this country is that service has disappeared. Chefs only think that, oh, I got a badass food and I'm going to put liquid nitrogen to every fucking thing or take some cigar and smoke some sea bass with it. Okay, yeah. fine. But what's going on in your dining room? Do you yeah. know? That's a problem with chefs, too. And that's what I want to teach more chefs is that it's from the front door to the back door, buddy. Yeah. It's from the well, front door to the back door. Don't let's, be let's let's, say, let's save that. Let's save that for the next episode. All right. Because <laughs> we got a roll. We got an hour and 15 into this. I still got 30 minutes to do our uh, our other stuff. So I want you back on, dude, because we need to do stuff together. We got to get out there and have some fun, man. Oh, I mean, like I said, Jason, Jason's with me. I'd like you to get Tony Clark back on, too. And this is no, just off. I got to talk, talk to Tony because he was. Uh, yeah. You know what? I got to get him on my you, list, man. This is this is not on the record. This is not on the record. Well, hold, on, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Then I got to I got to I got to shut off because I got to say goodbye to you and the other stuff. So, all right. so we're going to do off the record stuff after this. We have about two minutes to do the off the record stuff because I got to I got to fly. Um, I got to finish okay. up the show and then go from there. So. So, hey, everybody, do me a favor. Terry, where can we find you? And what's your gig, brother? Tell us where to find you. You can find, you can Google my name. You can find me anywhere if you can catch me in between being in New York, the Keys, whatever it is that I'm doing. I got a bunch of projects upcoming. Looking forward to working with you, Brian, on anything that you need from me. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a team player, man. And you got the passion and, and, and it's a, a brotherhood that is very small in this world for me. I don't have a lot of friends in this industry. Yeah. Not a lot of people talk to me because I am very brazen, five dollar. <laughs> and I and I and I'm not filtered. I tell you the way it is. Yeah. And a lot a lot of people like it and they don't want to hear what I have to say. But I will save this industry one chef at a time, given every opportunity, and you can just Google my name, Terry French. You'll find me on Wikipedia. You'll find me on Facebook. You'll find me on Twitter. Yeah. You'll find me everywhere. All right, everybody. So do me a favor. Head over there. You can just Google my brother, Mr. Terry French. Oh, the come up. Thing, and please do. It, it, you know, I mean, just hit me up. And if you got questions, chefs, I answer. I I mentor chefs on Facebook that actually call me from Nairobi, Dubai, all over the world. I'm mentoring chefs. It's chefs That's in it. America. If you got questions and you want to know how better to do it, feel free to instant message me, 
and I'll get on a damn call with you and I'll tell me your problems and I'll help you fix them. There we go. From the man himself right there. Ladies and gentlemen, do me a favor. Get over there and follow him and see all the fun stuff that he's done and uh, kind of going a little bit, uh, go, going out there the way we should. So, Chef, thanks for your time, dude. I really appreciate it. All right. See you, brother. All my best, Brian. I'll talk to you soon. All right, everybody. So it's the end of the show, and I have to thank my sponsors. I've got to get out there. I've got to do a quick combo. Go to nogginware.com. Check them out. You guys know how much I love my hats. Um, their subscription is probably the greatest thing out there at this point. You can sign up for a one, a three, or a six month, um, and they'll take care of you. They're going to send you a hat every single month, free shipping across the board. Um, they send out cool little gifts as well with inside the boxes, but they do all my custom hats. And if you guys get a chance and you can go in and take a look at some of the subscription ones that they have, the limited edition ones are off the hook. Um, they, they pair up with artists and chefs and different sports teams and stuff like that to come up with these great, great, great hats. One of my favorite ones ever is Old Glory. My father wears it all the time. It's super distressed. Got a great American flag on the front of it. And you know what? When you wear it, you're like, hey, I'm an American, man. Exactly, I'm an American. And I bought this in America, and it was shipped to me in America from nogginware.com. Nogginware.com, add Chef Bride off into there, and you guys are going to get a fancy little present and a little gift as well. Could be a discount. Who knows? Got to go there to find out. Nogginware.com. Thank you. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified check mark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com.